anybody here ever noticed how religion can get kind of strange pretty quick? Sometimes it gets hypocritical, sometimes judgmental, sometimes religion is co-opted by a political agenda. Religion can sometimes get pretty strange pretty quick. Sometimes um, religion just gets very argumentative, all about, you know, right and wrong and who's in and who's out, and it can become very divisive. Sometimes it just gets very sappy and sentimental. Like, um, is this about Jesus or a Hallmark card? Religion can get kind of strange kind of quick, and we're in this series second week for the month of August here called Losing My Religion. And what we're talking about is engaging God, not religion. Because the trappings of religion seem to do one of two things to people. And maybe you have found yourself in one of these categories in the course of your life. Sometimes all the trappings around religion cause someone to say, forget it. Like that is exactly why I don't call myself a Christian. And other times, maybe you found yourself just sucked in to all the debates and the theologizing and the philosophizing and you're talking about God and debating about God and arguing about God. But ironically, all that talk about God has kind of actually kept you at a distance from God because you've treated God more like an object to be studied, like a scientist rather than a person to be interacted with in relationship. And it seems that Jesus, when it came to religion, cut through all that. It seems that Jesus cut through all that saying, I don't want you to be turned off and afraid because of all these debates. I don't want you to be caught up in them either. I want you to follow me. So last week we said G.K. Chesterton. It's this great quote. He says, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. So we're talking this month about losing our religion. Today we're talking about engaging God today, not yesterday, not tomorrow. It is interesting to me, if we just went around the room right now and we just, you know, turned to your neighbor kind of moment and we were to say, so how do you know God? I think many of us would reference a past moment in our lives. Many people would say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Or during college, I met some followers of Jesus and I prayed this prayer. Or I was baptized once. Many of us would reference the past in explaining how we know God. Some of us might say something about the future, like, well, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. That's how I know God. But today we're talking this morning about engaging God today, not yesterday or tomorrow. In our busy lives, sometimes these memories about God or these hopes for the future become a substitute for engaging with God today. See, when I listen to God in the present, when I interact with God in the moment-to-moment daily grind of my life, one thing that is true about that is 
I'm putting myself in a place where I'm not in control. It is much easier to feel in control when I'm focused on a past memory, when I'm focused on a future hope. But when I am in the stream of a moving river that is God's love and invitation to follow Christ, there is this surrendering to his love, to his will, to his plan. And it is much easier to feel in control of the past memory. And so we just tend to elevate the past and the future above the call to listen to Christ in the present. Uh, think about relationships, though. If following God in the way of Jesus is not primarily a creed or a set of beliefs, it's not primarily any of what it, in its essence, it's an ongoing personal connection with the living God whose love for you and I knows absolutely no limit. If that's what following Jesus is at its essence, it's a relationship with the living God. Think about just the nature of relationships for a minute. Tim and I have been married 16 years, and think how silly it would be if I just demanded that we interact today like we did when we were dating. Think how ridiculous it would be if I sat at the kitchen counter and just flipped through pictures of our wedding album and totally ignored Tim all day long and just look at our wedding and our wedding was so amazing and look who came and look what... Like that would... Relationships demand acknowledgement and nurture in the present. And the same is true of our relationship with God. It also would be crazy and would not serve strengthening of my marriage if I was just totally all focused on, well, we'll connect when the kids are out of the house. Well, as soon as this project is through, we'll reconnect. You know, when we're retired, we'll do that. Relationships require ongoing connection in the present. William Barclay says this, there's a continual tendency in the church to look back, to believe that God's power is grown less and that the golden days lie behind. The writer to the Hebrews, that Susan just read this passage, sounds forth a trumpet call. Never think, he says, that you have arrived too late in history. Never think that the days of great promise, the great achievements, lie behind. This is still God's today. There is a blessedness for you as great as the blessedness of the saints. There's an adventure for you as great as the adventure of the martyrs. God is as great today as he ever was. See, in today's passage, we hear a, the author talking about the... the um, Israel, the nation of Israel's entering the promised land. So the passage is referencing a story in the book of Exodus where the people are living in Egypt and they are slaves. And God frees them from slavery and gives them the promised land, but they don't enter the promised land right away. They spend 40 years wandering in the desert. So this passage in Hebrews is referencing that story in Israel's history. And the author in Hebrews keeps saying over and over, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the idea of hardening your heart in this passage 
I don't know what comes to mind for you. I would probably think right away like angry, callous, something like that. But the author is describing how Israel hardened their heart. And do you want to know how they hardened their heart? Here's how they hardened their hearts. They were consistently focused on the past. Oh, what we had back in Egypt was so great. It was a romanticized view of Egypt because they were slaves in Egypt. But oh, what we had back in Egypt. And they were focused on the future like, well, when are we going to have food and not this manna? What if the people in the new promised land are too great and will overcome us? And they, were, they did not enter the promised land because of this focus back on Egypt and ahead. And this entire Exodus story is this incredibly relevant metaphor for our lives because we too are enslaved to sin, to shame. And because of what Christ did on the cross, we can be set free from our slavery. And there is this promised land that we are invited to. It's this journey with Jesus, this union with Christ. Often Jesus would call it the kingdom of God, which just simply means anywhere where God is king. And that promised land, kingdom of God light, that experience of his presence can begin now and go on into eternity. So in this story we see what kept the nation of Israel from experiencing the promised land is the same thing that keeps us from experiencing God's presence in our lives. We, just like they, become focused on the past and our romanticized ideas about what God did in our lives in the past, and we get all caught up in our worries about the future, and we miss the fact that God is present here. You could say it like this. The present is where God's presence resides. The present is where his presence resides. So what comes to mind when I say the word rest? Do you think a good night's sleep? Do you think lying on a hammock? Do you think getting a massage? Do you think laying on a beach? When I say the word rest, it's like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's interesting because in this passage, talking about God's presence, the dominant theme is rest. So the word in Greek, katapausis, which means rest, it's used three times as a verb. It's used eight times as a noun just in this passage. Dominant theme. And just as is the case, like in the whole of the Bible, when you read the word rest, it is something more than just stopping activity. It is something deeper than just another vacation. It is something more than can be met with a good night's sleep. Because there is a weariness. Can I get a witness on this? There is a weariness that comes from carrying too much. There is a tiredness that comes from carrying too much in your head and in your heart. There is a tiredness that can't be cured by another trip to Cabo. 
and the rest that is talked about in Scripture and that Jesus invites us to is a rest that is given by God as a gift. It's not achieved through activity. It's not orchestrated by doing the right things. It is given by God as a gift. And this rest is absent of stuff like strife and fear and control. So to participate in God's rest, it's not about stopping all activity. It is actually about living from a completely different template altogether. It's, it's like living from a completely, in a completely different rhythm altogether. Because you know what really makes us tired? What really makes us tired is trying too hard trying to impress, trying to please, trying to keep all the plates spinning, trying to stuff down emotions that need expression. That's what really makes us tired and anxious and depressed. And religion makes us work for a rest that just never comes. But Jesus invites us into a rest where we're finally free to do purposeful work with him. So Jesus said this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus says, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who doesn't want that? And yet so often we substitute an ongoing personal connection with God for memories of past encounters with him or future expectations. Sometimes we just excuse ourselves. We say, my life is too busy for that. So maybe later. And we miss out on the fact that there is a wholeness he's inviting us to right now. Right here. In the present. The present is our only possibility for experiencing God's presence. Because think about it this way. The past is a memory and the future is a hope. Those are important, legitimate things. But the past, that's, that is called a memory. The future, that is called a hope. The present is where his presence resides. So my son just is he, very fun. He just learned how to ride a bike with no training wheels. And uh, think about a bike. You've got the wheel hitting the ground at one point. Now we can see where the bike came from. And that matters. That's something. We can see where the bike is going. That's something, too. But the interaction of the bike is the wheel and the ground. That's the interaction. That's where the rubber meets the road. And that is the same as our relationship with God. The present is where his presence resides. So Leanne Payne said it like this, listening to God, which is a key part of practicing his presence, is not a method but a walk with a person. So the frequency of prayer in my life is kind of a good indication 
of whether I'm engaging with God in the present. Imagine for a minute you had never been in this sanctuary before, and you lived in this neighborhood, and you just kind of wanted to come see that old church building. And let's say on a Friday afternoon you came by, and uh, you found that the door was open, and you walked in, and there was this sweet little old lady standing there, and she said, oh, let me show you my church, and she brought you in here. And let's just say, as she's showing you the space, and you're seeing it for the first time, let's say she, you know, she puts her hand on the pew, and she says, you know, this is where I sit every week, because this is where I got saved, and everybody else needs to be, you know, up there to hear from God. I'm not ripping on anybody sitting in the same seat. That's not it. But that's a picture of religion. It is this idea that God spoke once, and he's, that, that's what I'm remembering. That's what I'm memorializing. That's what I'm focused on. Not an ongoing connection with him. Remembering the moment you came to faith, hugely significant. But even that can become a religion where we keep remembering that day and neglect any ongoing participation with God. So last thing is just this from the passage. Rest is the basis that we're invited to live from, not the goal we work for. So I took a gap year after high school before I started my undergrad and I went to this little uh, Cape and Ray school, Cape and Ray of the Torchbearers Fellowship up in Estes Park. It's one of several little Bible schools around the world, and um, I was up there for one year before I started undergrad, and one of my mentors and teachers there had spent her whole life, childhood, um, traveling around with the Billy Graham Crusades. Very fascinating to hear her experiences. Her dad was very involved on that team with Billy Graham, and so she just had an interesting perspective. And of course, tons of good things came from his ministry, and uh, she was able to see and share some things that were probably unintentionally implied by crusades, Billy Graham crusades, and ministries like his, and I thought it was very interesting to listen to her. You know, she just pointed out, first of all, it kind of taught an entire generation that a surefire way, and maybe the only surefire way to encounter God to meet God was like in a special, unique setting that was totally distinct from daily life, even distinct from a weekly gathering in a congregation. So if where you meet God is an elaborate rally, and you come to see that as a preferred avenue to encountering him, you might misunderstand that God is preferring or even needing elaborate conditions for you to interact with him. And those conditions are just not easily met in daily life. See, if God is not easily accessible in the routine of our lives, then we are seeking a substitute in the form of religion to satisfy our needs. Uh, the other thing she, you know, she would talk about was just the implied, that, that, um, that was implied was just the essence of Christianity being the initial experience of coming to faith. And so, of course, you know, that Billy Graham or someone else comes through town, a bunch of people get saved, and he moves on, and everybody is memorializing that event. 
so focused on the memory of meeting God and that kind of replacing the conversation ongoing with God. Now, you don't have to pick on that, right? That still happens today. Sometimes we, too, can get caught up in thinking, I need the next event or podcast or thing, music or concert or whatever to fill me up. And we start to rely on unique experiences, but we're left ill-equipped to engage God in a way that meets our needs in the mundane daily of life. So, you know, last week we talked about just if you were to drive up to the mountains and stand under Mount Royal, and there was a sign with an arrow pointing to Mount Royal, and if you just sat down under that sign and you said to yourself, I hiked Mount Royal, you of course did not hike Mount Royal, you sat under the signpost. And religion and history and all the amazing offerings we have today in the form of sermons and podcasts and books and events and concerts, and those are all meant to be signposts. Not an end in itself, but a signpost pointing the way to your ongoing daily connection with the living God. And so that's why we started the daily practice. Uh, Tim and Charlie and I started this little tool. Every morning, 5 a.m., we, re we release a three to five minute audio that you can listen to. And it is a little bit of scripture, a little bit of song, a couple questions and a prayer. And it is designed as a tool for you to just foster a daily practice of time listening to God. And honestly, I don't care if you use it or not. It's a tool. If it's helpful to you, use it. What I really care about is your ongoing connection, your life of prayer. And so if that tool serves to help with that, please use it. If it doesn't, find another one that does. Find a way to nurture and grow your life of prayer. Pope Paul VI said of all human activities, man's listening to God is the supreme act of his reasoning and will. See, here's the thing. God is still speaking. God is still speaking today, speaking through scripture, speaking through community, speaking in our lives. There's, God is desiring to talk with you, and there is an opportunity and an invitation to hear his voice today. Entering into his presence is entering into rest, and it's grace-based. There's no requirement but to listen and to believe. And I don't know about you, but I, my soul, longs for more than just the past stories about my relationship with God, more than just the future hope. My soul longs to be formed by an ongoing connection to his presence. And just in closing, do you know what his presence feels like? We've said it already, his presence feels like rest. It doesn't feel like a to-do list. It doesn't feel like a shame fest. It doesn't feel like a guilt trip. His presence, as described in this passage, feels like rest. Now, some of you, you avoid silence and solitude like the plague because every time you get quiet, what happens inside is a storyline that goes like this. You are never good enough. What made you ever think you could do anything? You are such a loser. You will never be good enough. 
And can I just say, if that is what you hear, that is not the voice of God. And we all hear negative messages of shame from time to time. And what that is, rather than just saying, that's why I don't have silence and solitude. That's why I don't pray. I just want to invite you to, the next time you hear negative self-talk, would you just say to yourself, would I talk to a dear friend this way? Would I talk to a dear friend how I am talking to myself? Because the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor as yourself? So the next time you move into silence, solitude, quietness, prayer, and you hear those voices of shame, it is an invitation for you to practice some self-compassion, to remember that the truest thing about you is what God says about you, not what anybody else says, not even what you say, which is also why scripture informing our prayer life of prayer is so huge and so important, because if I'm an angry person, I just pray angry prayers. But the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And he says, you are my child. You are my beloved child, precious in my eyes. And so when you hear that in your head, it's an invitation to practice some self-compassion. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is his presence in the present. So let's pray together as we close. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. And you know how unkind we can be to ourselves sometimes. We need your compassion. We need your help to view ourselves as you view us. We need self-compassion so that we might turn around and love others as you have loved us, laying down your life for your friends. So, Holy Spirit, this is your work. Would you come and do the work that only you can do? You are the advocate Jesus spoke about. And we ask you to fill us with your awe-inspiring story for our lives because we mess up our stories without you. Empower us to live out the great mission you call us to. We could join you in your work because it wouldn't be our work. It would be your work and that we would walk in rhythm with you. God, pour out your love on all of the hurt in this room. Oh, we have so much hurt. Would you pour out your love? Would you give us your gifts for our lives? God, we need your wisdom. We need the light, the enlightening wisdom of you for all these trials that we face for all these struggles that we have god i pray you'd give us peace and joy and your presence brings these things and god for every shameful and mean thought would you purify us and help us to stand 
firm in our identity in you. Protect us, Holy Spirit. So we won't grieve you or quench you or push you aside or dodge you, but instead surrender to you. Because, oh God, we just want to keep in step with you. We want a lifelong fellowship with you. I pray that the people gathered together today, that the people of Platte Park Church would more and more have our lives show the fruit of your spirit, that we would be people of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody who agreed said, Amen.